0: Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. We are starting a new series today. Whoa! I told I, I was talking to my son. He's like, "Dad, that wolf picture's freaky." I'm like, "Yeah, it's supposed to be. That's the whole point." We're talking about wolves this week. This is this is a three-week series, and we are going to talk about. Uh, what the Bible says about the wolves in sheep's clothing. This is a, a absolutely paramount discussion to have. It is more of a problem now than it ever has been. And we're going to talk about it over the next three weeks. This week we're going to talk about, I'm just going to prove to you that this is actually an issue. That this, this is a real existing thing. That there's, there's something to be, to be studied here. Next week, we're going to talk about what were, the, what were some of the historical issues in the Bible about this topic around false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing. And then on week three, we're going to unpack what are some of the current issues that we have in the church about wolves in sheep's clothing, and how, how do you spot them? How do you, how do you discern what is good and what is not? So those are the three things we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, and I really want you... to to key in on this. If you are unable to make a Sunday, these will be online. One week late, they'll be online, uh, and you can can tune in. But I would love to have you in in the house. So um, what I'd like to do at the very beginning of this is just as we start a new series, let's just pray that the Holy Spirit is at the center of this. And before I even speak a word about false teaching, I want you to understand this. This is the heart of the pastor from this stage. Anything that I say from this stage That is not backed by this. And we'll talk about what it means to be backed by this too. Um, If it's not backed by this, you need to throw it out. If you ever come across something that is not of God's word from this platform, this is the standard of righteousness. Not my imagination. Not my ambitions. Not my desires. This. This and I tr- I'm trying my very best on a week-to-week basis to unpack this for you and not put a whole lot of my own ideas and thoughts into it. But that's the statement, okay? And I, and I hold to that, okay? So throw it out if it doesn't go, uh, doesn't uh, jive with the word. And we'll talk about what it means to jive with the word. The big idea of this series is this. Well, let's pray first. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the life that comes through solid biblical teaching that aligns us with the very essence of our creation. Lord, that gives us the ability to to have a life that is thriving, not just surviving. And Lord, I pray that we would never, as a church, allow your word to be distorted for the sake of a, 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 a person and their ambitions and their desires. But Lord, that we would always, like the Bereans, check everything through the rubrics that you give us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the big idea for this series is this. In the book of Jude, we see that the wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus warned would come, have crept their way in the communities of the early church. In his short but powerful letter, Jude writes to warn and encourage the early Christians to be vigilant and mindful of the truth. His warnings remain relevant to Christians today who face danger of the cunning lure of false teachings. Right off the bat, turn with me to John chapter 10. I know this is a book, uh, this is a study in the book of Jude, but let's get some context, okay? John chapter 10 verse 1 says this. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. There's some things I want you to just focus on here. There is a gate, and there is a gatekeeper. And the shepherd of the flock must go in through those things, must be allowed past the gate by the fact that the gatekeeper is opening it. That's what the shepherd of the flock is supposed to do. Number verse 4, when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from them because they don't know the voice of the stranger. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7 says this, Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Let's just... Meditate on that thought. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. So he's, he's equating himself as the gate, and he's also equating himself as the gatekeeper. Okay, that's gonna be important for our, st- our study. Verse eight, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you might have life and have it in abundance. See that guy on the left-hand side? He's there to kill, steal, and destroy from you. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says this. Beware of false prophets, which means false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, this particular message is titled, Wolf at the Gate. Wolf at the Gate. All right? So the big idea for this message is this. Jesus and his brother Jude warn us about wolves in sheep's clothing and give us A way, give us ways to protect ourselves from evil imposters. Okay? Jesus and his brother, that's interesting, Jude, warn us about wolves in sheep's clothing and give us a way to protect ourselves from evil imposters. So here's the thing: as you grow as a Christian, you might explore different ideas, some will stick. And some will go by the wayside. How do you prioritize which one should stick and which one should go by the wayside? Uh, I grew up as a a Christian teen in the nineties. There's a Christian comedian out there that says that those were the most Christians ever. <laughs> we were so Christian. I remember the days man, wh- wh- like we would it would be like en mass we'd come home from a, a, a youth rally or a camp and everybody would just like start burning their secular music, right? It was like, oh, I'm just going to listen to Christian music now. And then that, like, ten, like 10 days later, like, what did I do? You know? <laughs> but I mean, we were, we were the most Christian, right? We had the most Christian parents too. So we might, you know, choose to listen to only Christian music or, or avoid social media. We might align politically with one party or another. We might be Calvinist or Arminian, have those uh, different theological differences. There's parts of our identity might be for a time or they might be for always, but they aren't the entirety of our identity. And they aren't make or break beliefs. Now, let me explain this to you. Um, There are some beliefs that are absolutely salvation imperatives, okay? there are some beliefs that are absolute salvation imperatives. And there's a lot of other things out there that um, they might be important for you, but they, they might not be as important for them. The early church dealt with this. Okay? There were some people who, even though they were Christians and, 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 and Gentiles, decided that they were going to not eat certain foods just like the Jews did. They were going to abstain from certain foods. And then there was another group of Christians that said, no, we don't, we don't, we're not going to do that. See the differences? Are they both going to heaven? Absolutely. They just had a different understanding of what the scriptures were teaching. So what, what the apostles were saying is like, guys, you got to stop fighting over this stuff. This is not... This is not and 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 but he also was very concerned about people's grace. He said, "You know, if there's somebody who's who struggles with that, if somebody's struggling with that aspect of faith, just don't do it. Just stay away from it. Just 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 be there for them. Love them. You know, if if they're struggling with that, don't don't hinder them. Just be gracious." And Paul said, "You know." When I'm with the Gentiles, I live like the Gentiles. When I'm with the Jews, I live like the Jews. So that I might be all things to all people. So that some might come to Christ. So he's worried about the coming to Christ. He's worried about salvation. He's not worried about all the periphery. I'm going to tell you right now, denominations in our churches major in the minors. We break fellowship because of stupid things. One of the we're going to read a creed later, and it talks about one of the creeds of the church is that they believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We're like, whoa, wait, come on now! The Catholic Church, give me a break! Listen, to these people are early. This creed is written early. There was only one church. We're the ones who broke it apart. I want. I want more people in the fellowship, not less people, but there are certain issues that are, are salvation important, that we have to stand on, the truth of God, so we'll get into that. There's certain things we have to stand on and certain things we gotta let go of a little bit. It's okay if you follow that, but you can't make that a salvation issue and a breaking of fellowship. There has been this ongoing um, like schism between Baptists and other people, which is... <laughs> All you, you know, hell bounds. No, no. I mean, there's there, there's this, you know, between Pentecostals and evangelicals and Baptists, there's been this schism, and we can't, you know what the church looks the, the world looks at and goes, these people are ridiculous. I'll tell you, we had to be careful. But there is such a thing in Scripture as teachers who come in sheep's clothing, who are absolutely out to destroy you. And that's what we're going to talk about here, okay? Asking good questions and wrestling with ideas about our faith is healthy if we do it in the right way. Similarly, we will all stumble, make stupid choices, and sin. That's going to happen. But God's grace, by God's grace, we can realign our spirit with the spirit of God. And with this help, choose friends that can help us to get back on track. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Hopefully, by the grace of God, we can come to the truth once again. So when we talk about Jude, it seems that the people that Jude references are not confused about their beliefs. They, they're, they're trying something out for a reason and having a, and having a stumble in their faith. Instead of this, a division from the – so these people are not just stumbling, right? They're not just like, oh, I'm trying this out. No, there is a division of fundamental truths in that church. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is bad. This is not whether women should cover their heads or not. Whether they should wear, you know, this is not this is not what we're talking about. This is like a fundamental Jesus-centric issues. Then Jude's like, whoa, hold on. Okay? So just quickly some letter, some background to this letter. So Jude. Or better translated, Judah, based on his pronunciation. So it's we call it Jude because that's but in the pronunciation in both Greek and Hebrew, it would have been Judah, okay, is the author of the book, and he's Jesus' brother. He's Jesus' brother. Interesting that he doesn't identify himself, that you'll see in a second, he identifies himself as a servant of Christ. Why does he do that? Because earlier, he denied the messiahship of his brother. And he's, after the resurrection of Christ, he's like, oh man, I was wrong, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. And now he's a leader in the early church, and he is, has a very uh, passionate message for these people. Jude is writing the letter to believers, likely Jewish believers, based on Jude's strong assumption that his audience is deeply familiar with the historical Jewish text. Now, when we get to next week, we're going to study some things that you're going to like. whoa, what's that all about? Because Jude actually references apocryphal scripture. He's going to reference the book of um, Enoch. <laughs> the book of Enoch. He's also going to uh, reference the book of Moses, which are not canon, but, are, but the Jewish community would have known very well. So that's why people believe this is a primarily Jewish audience. All right, open your Bible to Jude. It's hard to find. It's like one page. It's got only one chapter, so we won't be referencing chapters. We're only referencing verses. So open your Bible to Jude. And we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read the whole section. We're going to read 1 through 4 today. And here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, Although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for the judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality, and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. All right. So that's the first four verses of Jude. So he really wants to write this letter. He's he's sitting down at his desk and he's wanting to write this letter about the centrality of Christ and the shared faith that they have. But word has come to him that they are that there are people within their community that are preaching a different gospel. It's not just that like, they have like, different ideas about what, how they should apply the gospel. It's that they're preaching a totally different gospel. And they've weaseled their way in. They've wolfed their way in. And now they are hindering and hurting the church that Jude is writing to. And he says you must contend for the faith. What does that even mean to contend for the faith? I'll, I'll put it this way there are always going to be compromises that the culture and the world are going to ask us to have in order to make them happy, to make them feel comfortable, to make them okay with who we are. And it's also going to make us feel a little less. Persecuted, or like we're outsiders. There's always going to be that, and there's always that temptation to yield certain truths that are biblical in order to take the pressure off, or to, and, and you know, I think some of the biggest things that have gone wrong in our church um, theology over the last hundred years have been done listen to this, out of love. People are like, man, I just love people. And I just, I, I just want to get along. I just want to love people. I just want to love them. What a, what a good heart. Well, Jesus said love people, right? I, I, think, I think of that, that, that story in the Bible where the, the woman is brought to Jesus who was caught in adultery, right? Brought in ripped out of the act of committing adultery, brought in, thrown at the feet of Jesus. Where's the guy? Hmm. Don't know. Last I heard, it takes two to tango. But the guy is nowhere to be found. Anyway, I digress. Jesus listens to the the taunting of the crowd, the accusations of the woman, and he ignores it. He ignores them. He ignores them and starts to doodle. Or whatever he was writing. It doesn't give us an example. It doesn't tell us what he was writing on the ground, but he starts to, to just write on the ground. And then he makes one very potent statement. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. And the Bible says that starting with the oldest. I love the way it says that. Starting with the oldest in the crowd. <laughs> the stones started to drop. Thump, thump, thump. And I can, I can relate to that because when I was just in Bible school, man, I was full of stones, man. I was ready. Let's fight. You got a theological issue? I got a counter issue. We will talk about this all night long and we will fail our test tomorrow because this is so important right now to throw these stones. As I get older, my, the stones in my hand start to drop more and more. But it's very important, because we could just stop there. We could just stop there. We could say, well, Jesus just loved her. Oh, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't condemn her or anything. Don't, well, just wait, go with me with this for a second. They all left. And Jesus looks up at the woman and says, where are your accusers? She said, they've all gone. There's none left. He says, Never, neither do I condemn you. This is so important. Go and sin no more. He didn't take away the objective truth that she was sinning. He said, don't do that anymore. It's not good. It's not right. It's against God's law. Don't do it. There's an objective truth that this is wrong. But I am going to extend grace to you. So I think what we have done in the church is we have, we've been extending grace, extending grace, uh, opening up the borders and doing all these things, but we're, never, we're not getting to that, that second part that says, Don't do that. I know you've done it, but don't do it. Everything's not okay. Some things are not okay. So don't do them. All right? So what's happening is these teachers are coming in and they're saying, it's okay to do this. Because of the grace of God, you can do whatever you want. And they're pulling people away from the truth of God's word. Okay, uh, he uses this word. Um, the Greek words translated "sensuality" in the ESV. They're sensual. What does this word actually mean? Translated, it's asagae, uh, and it says this. It's also translated lasciviousness I'm really oh, that clears things up. Um, which means this. Unbridled lust or excess. They're all about lasciviousness, all about sensuality, which is this unbridled lust and excess. Can anything better describe our Western culture today than unbridled lust and excess? Hmm. People need to sign up for FPU. (laughs) Anyway, tie-in. Did you see that? Anyway, um, here's the thing. Typically, when these teachers come into the church, what they're trying to do is they're trying to play to the human, humanity the desires the, the sinfulness of humans to draw them away from the truth of God's word and to elevate themselves in the eyes of people. Okay, so we've got to be careful. So what does what Jude say? He says, Contend. Contend for the faith. That is a word that is aggressive. That is a word that is confrontational. That is a word that says no. Well, that's not going to make you a, lot, a whole lot of friends. And it's going to cause there to be people who are going to come against you. Because if you can't say yes to them, they're going to be very upset with you. So a lot of people say, the gospel is not confrontational. I disagree. I disagree. In fact, it's so confrontational, they actually killed Jesus for it. And every one of the apostles suffered a miserable martyrdom because they contended for the faith. They loved people, but they contended for the faith. Some things are not okay. Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 38 says this. And in his teachings, he said, Beware of the scribes who look at the... Uh, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues? Talk about excess. And the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. What does that even mean? It means they take advantage of gullible women, of marginalized, of women who are uh, vulnerable. In that culture, in that culture especially, when they, were, when they didn't have a, uh, a man to take care of them, they were vulnerable to other people. Now, I'm glad that that's not always the case today, but here's the thing. The Bible talks about over and over, what is, it, what is the church supposed to do? It's supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans, the, the vulnerable. And these people were just taking advantage of them. The weakest in the culture, they were just taking advantage of them. And the church says, no, that's not okay. Okay. They bow our widows' houses and for a pittance make long prayers. Means, you don't know what that means? They're taking money to pray. Okay. They're taking money. Like, would you come to my house and make my house look more spiritually and eloquent by praying and I'll give you some money for it. Okay. They will receive their greater condemnation. Why? Because they know better, yet they're still doing it. Okay? This has been happening ever since there has been organized religion. People have used their position and their great spirituality to exploit others, elevate themselves, and justify their excesses. Time and time again, Jesus and the apostles had to address this very nature of the gospel as being one of humility and service. I have a really hard time watching preachers online with sneakers on that cost more than my first car. That, that bothers me. That really bothers me. Okay? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? They know better. They know better. When I see Preachers who are world renowned, and then the media does a slight little pick into their life and finds out that they have, you know, houses in multiple places and they are got jets and they're flying back and forth, all these things. What does that do to the world? They're like, these people are charlatans. That doesn't represent what we, th- what we know. People aren't stupid, they know. In fact, people are smarter than you think. They know what Christianity is supposed to be. And we've got to be careful. Now, we're not always going to measure up, but we have to measure up according to this. And we have to, be, we have to contend for the faith. Jude is reminding the readers that Jesus, the gospel, and the purity of the faith is worth defending. Jude is passionate that we do the work of, to keep the faith, especially when it is threatened by cheap grace and materialistic teaching. Jude, Jude's warning encourages us to solidify our beliefs, stand firm in the truth, and contend for the faith, especially when people challenge those truths for, our own, for their own gain. So, what does it mean to contend for the faith? Is it a matter of having all the right answers? Do we need to be perfect and have perfect doctrine or live as perfect Christians? Nope, doesn't mean that. Jude's passion encouraged us to take our faith seriously. Take it, I was having a a Bible study with somebody just this week and they're like, I have been playing around with my faith. And I just want to take, I want to get to the place uh, where I'm just taking it seriously. Like it's, a, it's impacting like all of my life. Not just Sunday mornings or not just, I'm just, I'm tired of playing the game. I'm like, man, you're primed for something. You've got to do something great in your life. Okay? Jude's passion is that we take our faith seriously. What are the core foundations of the faith? And do our lives line up with these beliefs? There are historical creeds or meditations that on the core beliefs of the Christianity and these become important places to come back to. I think in our evangelical church, we've kind of like "Mm," put those aside. They're kind of old and dusty. We like flashy and new. If a song gets like to be uh, more than like six months old, it's an old song now. We're doing that old song today? Boy, that just came out like six months ago. <laughs> you know, we're just so fast food in our culture. But something that's, you know, stands the test of time sometimes comes off as being kind of dusty and old. But it's important to place our proverbial flag into some doctrine. So here's one. And here's what I want to talk to you about. When the sermon is titled Wolves at the Gate. What is this gate? We talked about it a little bit. This gate that Jesus talks about, we find in John 10. says this. We read it already. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. If we can't get past the gate, and it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus said that he is that gate. It's all about filtering messages. I'm going to explain that message again. Messages through the truth of the word of God through the person of Jesus. If you can't get it past the person of Jesus, throw it out. It's only there to try to confuse you. It's only there to try to steal from you. It's only there to try to destroy you. If it can't get past the gate or the gatekeeper, then you need to throw it out. You need to kick it out. All right. So what are we talking about when we when we talk about messages? I'm not just talking about messages that um, come from a, 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 a pulpit. There are messages that we meditate on. We don't even know we're using we we don't use that word, but that's what we're really doing. When we meditation is a simple rolling over a thought inside your head over and over. That's what meditation is. Most of our meditation is done unintentionally. Did you know that? That's why intention, that's why people say, you know, you should take some time to just meditate on God's word. Intentionality, because we do a lot of meditating. It's just unintentionally. There are messages that the world is giving you day in and day out that you need to throw out because they don't pass the rubrics of the gatekeeper. They're not of Christ. They're there to steal from you, to kill you, destroy you. But God came to give you life and life abundantly. So you've got to be vigilant and contend for the true faith and say, no, that's not of God. I am not going to allow you into me. I'm not going to allow this into my psyche. I'm not going to allow this into my brain. I'm not going to wear this all day. It's not of God. Jesus would never say that about me. Got to use the gatekeeper. And it also applies to things that come from churches. Be careful of those wolves in sheep's clothing that have come to elevate themselves over the person of Jesus Christ for their own gain. Not good. So let's look at the creed. The Nicene Creed, uh, circa 325 A.D., And it'll be on the wall here. It says this. We believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Interesting. That, why was that creed laid down in three, what did I say, Three, circa 325? It's up there, isn't it? You guys are better at my notes than I am. Why was that creed laid down? Each and every one of those Statements was written to contend for a heresy that had popped up from, from the time of Christ till that point. They had a council of Nicaea. Now people are like, "Well, that was the Catholic Church. That you know, we can't." Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It was all the Catholic Church until Luther came along. Okay, this is very early. Three hundred. This is very, very early. Okay. these people wrote these things they had, a, they had a council it was called the Council of Nicaea they wrote these things down to counter message the false narratives that were cropping up in communities of faith throughout the Roman world this was so vitally important to them that they, had to, they wrote it down so that they could, they could disseminate this information why? why did they do this? So that people could come back to it. So that they could say, okay, what are the fundamentals of my faith? What, 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 what things are not negotiable? What things are core to my belief system? And what things are like expressions of my belief system? Okay, that's what Jude is trying to get them to do. Do not compromise the core of the gospel. There are certain things that are not Okay, and we'll get into next week some of those things, some of the heresies of the early church that were identified and counter-messaged in creeds like this, okay? So let's wrap this thing up. We contend for the faith by constantly returning to these core beliefs when challenges, doubts, and confusion come our way. It's not always easy. Things change, but the truth remains fundamental for our faith and foundational. We don't know the specific doctrines these certain people in Jude were going at, but we can have we have ideas of what they what could be. Um, we don't even know what the kind of bad behavior that they were doing. But here's the thing: we've all been there. We've all been perpetrators of bad behavior. We've always well, all of us have been the worst at one point or another. So we're not pointing fingers and saying. That couldn't happen to us, right? So this is called heresy. And we got to make sure that we don't allow heresy to enter into the church. What happens when heresy enters the church? What need, what, okay, so, so, not what happens. What needs to happen? It's this word we call reform. When heresy enters the church, there must be a doctrinal reformation. Okay, it's something that we, how do we do that? We align ourselves once again with this. We repent, and we say, "You know what? I did. I, I did leave the truth, and that's okay." Well, let me explain that. It's not okay that you. <laughs> it's not okay to leave the truth. What I am saying is, it's okay to repent. Repentance. Repentance is key to our survival and thriving as a church. When you get off track, be quick to your knees. Don't hold on to it. Be quick to your knees. And reform your thought. Bring it back under the umbrella of God's word. Okay? So next week we're going to explore why, the why behind Jude's letter. But no doubt we've all experienced the dark side of bad behavior from a Christian. Has anybody ever had that problem? Where you kind of found yourself saying, Really? You call yourself a Christian? Ever had that happen? Nobody? Only me? The church is its own worst enemy. I'm just saying it. We are so ugh sometimes. Thankfully, we have guidance from Scripture and the Holy Spirit to help us when hard. Conversations need to be had. Might we be mindful of our own plank in our eyes, okay? that's As we do this stuff, as we live a faith that sometimes is going to rub up against other ideas in a confrontational way, let's be cognizant of Jesus' parable of the speck and the plank in the brother's eye. Let's not go... uh, Looking for somebody, oh, got, got, got something in your eye there, buddy. When I have like a board sticking out of mine. He'd be like, dude, did you look in the mirror. <laughs> right? We've got to be careful. We've got to be gracious while we do these things. And we want to seek humility and reconciliation when we do confront. Okay? Um, but we cannot allow the timeless truth of God's word to be compromised for any reason, for any reason. You need to hold fast and contend for the faith with meekness, love, forgiveness, and a whole lot of humility. Lord, thank you that we have your word as a guide that you are the gate that the wolves can't get through. That when we put teachings and messages up against the timeless Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, things become more clear. God, I pray, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom as we go through this series as to how to recognize the very stealthy wolves in, in the herd. God, help us to be people who are vigilant, who are contending, but are also massively humble and compassionate. So Lord, we thank you for this encouragement of the book of Jude, this small little letter. Lord, help us to, help us to be able to strengthen our own faith by having studied through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.